0: The weekly standard podcast i'm your host michael graham this podcast brought to you by the weekly standard cruise cruising the mediterranean october 9th through the 20th with all of your weekly standard favorites including stephen hayes bill crystal and fred barnes for more information visit twscruise.com that's the weekly standard twscruise.com Obviously, the biggest story of the day is the, uh, the breaking news on the NSA scandal. The information revealed by a former CIA employee and private contractor has now fled to Hong Kong. For all the latest on these stories, we go to our good friend Steve Hayes with the Weekly Standard. Steve, so glad to have you. Michael, how are you? I'm trying to figure out what the heck is going on. So if I understand it correctly, the president is stunned that we don't trust him with this massive amount of information about us. After all, look at the great way he's, he's treated the American people up to now.
1: Right. I think that's, I mean, it's the, the context in many ways is, I think, what's given rise to this NSA story that, you know, had it taken place two years ago, you know, it certainly would be a big story. These are these are big revelations. Um, the leaks are significant. I think they're likely to do uh, pretty serious damage. But I, the reason that it's captured For the public imagination the way that it has, I think, is because of the context and because of the fact that we've seen this abuse of the public trust by the IRS and others in recent weeks and months.
0: I think it's fascinating that there seems to be an attitude that you can uh, deceive the American people. You can have the attorney general make statements that appeared on their face to not be true. Um, You can have the American people be, you know, Tea Party groups be treated the way they are. And that there would be no consequences to trust is is that really how insulated either Washington is? I mean, you live and work there, Steve, or is that how insulated the Obama administration is
1: are you trying to make me sound like a washington insider uh, Steve Hayes on the record
0: here. Steve Hayes is a Washington insider I, I, I live to that.
1: outside of the beltway <laughs> you know i don 't i don't i don 't I don't go to all the Washington cocktail parties you hear so much about <laughs> look I think we 're seeing an erosion in in public trust, and I think in many respects, it's it's not only deserved, but it's it's long overdue. I mean, there's a reason that the founders restricted government in the way that they did. I mean, we set limits on government for the reasons that that they did. It made a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense to this day. And with the IRS scandal, I think we've seen you know not not only the you know, targeting of conservative groups and the crippling of of Tea Party groups, but in effect, a silencing of political opposition when you look at the the effects that that has had. I mean, you watched the the congressional testimony from these these conservative groups, these Tea Party groups last week, and they're asked about what happened to them since their applications um, were not responded to, and they all basically said, well, we went dormant. Well, Those are groups that would have been otherwise getting out the vote or or making phone calls or doing issue advocacy on behalf of conservatives and people who are skeptical of government that otherwise that basically couldn't say the things they wanted to say and couldn't participate in the ways that they wanted to participate. So there's a good reason that people, I think, are increasingly skeptical and increasingly uh, uh, nervous about government reach. Uh,
0: Steve Hayes, on Friday, President Obama made this assertion. But I think
1: it's important to r- recognize that uh, you can't have 100% security, and also then have 100% privacy
0: and zero inconvenience. Uh, you know, th- th- we're, we're going to have to make some choices uh, as a society. Is it fair for people like me to respond, Mr. President? It would be nice to have that 100% security. But given what we had in Boston, where I live and work, and the Nadal yeah. Hassan case and the New York Times, uh, the New York, uh, uh, Times Square bomber and the Underwear bomber, we're not even close to 100 percent security. In other words, not only is he giving us a false choice, he's giving us a failed choice.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And if you look at, look at the speech that the president gave two weeks ago, I mean, he basically declared the end of the war on terror and said the United States no longer faces a serious threat from al-Qaeda of large mass casualty attacks here on the homeland. Um, But at the same time, he wants to extend, and depending on who you talk to, perhaps expand the kinds of surveillance that the Bush administration uh, pursued with such vigor. It was much more, I think, understandable given the way that George W. Bush decided that he was going to operate as president. I mean, after the September 11th attacks, George W. Bush said, my job as president is to the american people safe and i'm going to do everything i possibly can that's legal to do that and so he pushed the boundaries and did everything he could and in, including you know the kinds of programs that we're now discussing with respect to the nsa in order to achieve that goal but george W. bush remember he was out giving some war on terror related speech every week and in all of his public He talked about this, and he continually reminded the American people that we were still under threat, that al-Qaeda had not been vanquished, that that these things had not gone away. Well, with Barack Obama, really, since he was inaugurated, and particularly over the past month, we've seen him make exactly the opposite case. And if you go back to the things that you mentioned, Michael, I mean, you go back to the Times Square attack, you go back to Netanyahu, Hassan, you go back to the Christmas Day bombing the response in every instance from the Obama administration was to downplay the seriousness of the attacks and to, to sort of pull it out of any broader network or broader conspiracy, the idea being that we are not under the same right. kind of threat that we were. And then when he gave his speech at National Defense University, he said that explicitly and directly. He said, we are no longer facing the kinds of threats from Al-Qaeda Central that we once faced in the days immediately preceding 9-11. So... The question, the obvious question then is, if that's what you believe as president of the United States, why are you extending and perhaps expanding the surveillance state?
0: And then you have this bizarre scenario where uh, Nadal Hassan is saying in his trial, I was acting in the name of the Taliban. I was attacking on their behalf. And the Obama administration prosecuting him says, no, you weren't. This was simply a workplace enforcement. Oh, but by the way. We have to um, collect three billion pieces of data a month because of all the workplace violence that we threat. I mean, it's the you just pointed out that the uh, incongruity of those two positions simultaneously.
1: Right, exactly. And if you look at the administration, I've got a a friend, Tom Jocelyn who writes frequently for the Weekly Standard, who argues that, you know, under George W. Bush, every effort was made to connect the dots and connect the dots as often as we possibly could and to patterns that we saw emerging from there, and that under Barack Obama, the effort is to disconnect the dots, whereas, you know, you have somebody like the the Christmas Day bomber who, uh, you know, immediately upon his capture said, I was sent by al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, I had this training, they paid for this, they did this, and then you have the president three days later going out and saying, well, this guy was an isolated extremist. I mean, we've seen this again and again and again, where the administration's Reflexive response is to pull those potential attackers out from these broader networks to downplay the severity of the attack, uh, to, to try to so impose upon that a, um, the, the structure of a lone wolf or, um, you know, self radicalized individuals rather than see this as part of a broader campaign against. Islamist, supremacist ideology.
0: Uh, Edward Snowden, we've uh, learned quite a bit about him, the person who released this information, didn't finish high school, got high school equivalency, apparently is a tech super genius or borderline whatever but the notion that a relatively obscure guy working for a private contractor could pull up steve hayes's emails and credit card transactions that to me is the most frightening part of this it shows that you know the the model of cincinnati and the irs low-level people you apply that with this level of information and a low-level person can cause a high level of damage can't they
1: yeah, I mean, conceivably. What we've seen, I think, if you look at both, you know, I would, I would lump in with the IRS this, this Department of Justice investigation of, of James Rosen and, and, you know, the sort of intrusiveness of that investigation, the targeting of conservative groups with the IRS. What we've seen in those instances is a system that has opened itself up to abuse and then we've seen the abuse. Mm-hmm. So with respect to DOJ going after James Rosen trying to get, you know, into his emails, all, you know, his parents, phones getting the phone records what have you and then with the irs the targeting of these conservative groups what we haven't yet seen or haven't seen on a broader scale is is the kinds of abuse uh that could uh result from the the data collection the data gathering that we've seen with the nsa and i think people are rightly i think understandably saying look we saw this in the case of the IRS. we saw this in the case of the doj uh, why should we trust that the government would operate differently with respect to the n nFA and I think you know that's that's a totally legitimate and I think good question the danger is or the the problem is potentially from my perspective is if you've got programs that truly are are effective in stopping terrorists or allowing us to to link terrorists to other terrorists or other networks and you throw those out because of those concerns you know it it i think could have dramatic consequences down the line for our ability to to take on al Qaeda and its affiliates and its sympathizers.
0: One last question, what have we learned, if anything, in the last 24 hours, uh, here on Monday uh, that that indicates where this story is headed. I mean, is there going to be a revamping of the program? Is the president just going to keep going out saying, you should trust me? Do, do, or is there more information that's going to come out that's going to have a significant impact, or is this the t- kind of the peak of the tidal wave, if you
1: will? I think I expect to see more. I mean, you've seen Glenn Greenwald, who's uh, the activist slash journalist who broke the story for The Guardian initially, in effect, threatening uh, more disclosures, more revelations he had. Twitter exchange responding to comments from Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper. Uh, When Clapper said this is literally gut-wrenching for him, Mm -hmm. Greenwald, in effect, said, and I'm paraphrasing here, if you think that was bad, just wait. You know, there's more coming. So I definitely think we will see more on the substantive side, more of these kinds of leaks that provide kind of a window into the process. Um, I think the implications uh, are likely to be pretty significant, longer term. I mean, I think we could be seeing a moment where there are real long-term political implications. I mean, I think these kinds of revelations take somebody like Rand Paul, who is, you know, a senator. He's a a smart guy. He's, I think, pretty likable. He has some views that I would characterize as sort of mainstream Tea Party views. He has other views that I would say are, you know, put him more towards the fringy libertarian side on national security issues. And they take those views and kind of thrust them into the mainstream. And somebody who, you know, I think most people probably regard it as an interesting character, somebody who influenced influence debate, pull it in one direction or another, but who was unlikely to emerge as, you know, a serious presidential contender in 2016. I think this gives somebody like Rand Paul, um, you know, a little momentum, arguments that he can make and... and Get the American people on his side if he doesn't uh, overreach.
0: Rand Paul is a guy who can win the Republican primary in New Hampshire, Steve. That's, he could win in New fact. Hampshire, Absolutely. and I
1: would have said that six months ago. Sure. could he win the nomination? I would say six months ago, I would have said that's I don't not crazy. I mean, nothing's crazy given what we've seen in politics exactly. over the past few years. But I would have certainly said it. You know, it's highly unlikely. Now, I don't think that this makes it likely. But it certainly makes it more likely than it was just a few months
0: ago. Well, the way you win the primaries, winning one state at a time, and an early state is very favorable to Rand Paul. And I would argue, growing up and having run campaigns in South Carolina, that South Carolina could conce- conceivably be uh, in play for Rand Paul if this conversation continues. So right. uh, it's, it, it, that, this, all the implications add up. Steve Hayes, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. You bet. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast brought to you by the Weekly Standard Cruise. October 9th through 20th, cruise the Mediterranean with your Weekly Standard favorites. For all the details, visit TWScruise.com. That's TWScruise.com.